welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ed Greer. I'm Ron Swallow. And I'm producer Bill. And today we have an episode for you. It's a bit in the zeitgeist. It's a, it's a bit on everybody's lips. It's representative of what everybody is excited about in media right now. And that is the greatest Superman analog, the greatest non-Superman Superman character out in the media right now. And, uh, you know, there are a few that come to mind immediately, but we got a list here that's nigh 20 strong uh, from across comics, movies, television. And we might even come up with some more as we go along. Guys, do you have a favorite Superman analog? Uh, not to say it's the greatest, but do you have a favorite, maybe even just from our list here? You know, you uh, one of the ones are on the list is is Captain Marvel. And I really like Captain Marvel in the comics a lot. Um, the The Marvel version. Uh, Captain Marvel Shazam is good too, but Captain Mar and should be noted Captain Marvel the Marvel version of Captain Marvel has really been like four to five different characters. Yeah, I mean because it started as Marvel of the Cree, then yep. it was Monica Rambeau who then became Photon, and then it was Genus Vel Marvel's son, and then finally Carol Danvers. Uh, so that has a long history of being, you know, Marvel's analog for Superman across multiple characters. I like the Carol Danvers version. I just have always enjoyed Carol Danvers' attitudes, and there's some really great runs with her kicking ass, and but also, like, Marvel does what it does and gives her good challenges a lot of times, too. So, Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. When, when you get that powerful in Marvel... I don't know how many challenges there really are. I think I think a lot of even in the comic books, there's a lot of time spent just getting, getting her out of there. Like, hey, go look over there. <laughs> there's something yeah. super huge you got to go fuck with for 20 pages while we kind of do our Bendis talking or whatever. That's a good. Yeah. Point. And it's I mean, it, it's interesting. We should talk about what makes a Superman analog a Superman analog. Um, because it's not just the fact that you're the most powerful character on the scene, although that is often uh, a deciding factor, but it's also, you know, normally these characters have some element of the Superman origin. They're from an alien species, you know, they're the only one of their kind, you know, they were raised in a bucolic, you know, farm environment and then came to the world or, or just raised outside the world in general and then came to the world to do good. Um, often these characters have the classic suite of powers, invulnerability, super strength, flight, and some sort of laser vision or heat vision. Um, and then, you know, to varying degrees, they all sort of have that upstanding morality of Superman. Some of them, have, that's been totally twisted. Some of them, it's absence is the thing that defines them. Um, but, you know, I think it speaks to the fact, and we talked about it on our Superman episode of the show, that Superman as an idea is just sort of this cultural meme. Like, everyone sort of gets what Supermanness is. And I think that's what makes it such an interesting thing to play with in fiction, because Superman as a character can be a little bit difficult, can be a little bit rigid, hence the reason we did Superman, the greatest storytelling challenge as an episode of this show. Mm -hmm. And once you break the parameters of Superman's specific story, that iteration of this archetype, you could do some really interesting things. And so, you know, I think Marvel turning it into this, you know, power and responsibility that sort of gets passed from person to person because they keep meeting horrible ends up until the time we get to, to Carol Danvers is an interesting way to go with it. 
Um, but Marvel has a couple other characters too who fit the bill of a Superman analog. Uh, classically, you know, at least if you're an '80s kid, Gladiator of the Shi'ar Empire was created mm. by Claremont and Byrne to sort of be, you know, their version of Superman in the story. Um, and then one of the ones that I have a real soft spot for is Blue Marvel. And Blue Marvel is a character that's since been retconned into the Marvel Universe. He's not that old, but he was created to be this 1950s Marvel character who, you know, I don't know what the exact story was. He might have gotten lost in like the negative zone or something. Yeah, it, it was it was something like that. Kevin Grievous uh, came up with this character. And yeah, his, his origin, anybody could like look it up. But like it's basically that sort of like kind of Captain Marvel-y transmutation energy situation thing. And he's just he's just capable of pulling from extra dimensional sources and from our universe itself all kind of energies to do all kind of just like even Uber Superman stuff. I think he's I think toe to toe with Superman, he might fuck Superman up with all the yeah. stuff that he knows how to do. And he was I mean he was essentially created to fill that role and even more so to sort of fill the role of moral certitude and fatherly presence within the Marvel mm -hmm. universe. And I just think that's sort of an interesting, you know, it's an interesting character to have in Marvel because Marvel is so much about the tortured hero, having that guy who can show up and kind of be the calm in the storm. I, I, I've always liked him. He nor I normally read him in Marvel in the context of big event series or team books. Yeah. Um, you know, he was like, leading, he was leading their cosmic team for a while. The, like when Galactus. Ultimate. Yeah, yes. the, the ultimates, the, the six the one that six ultimates. Yeah, yeah, that that eventually had fucking Galactus as a team member. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Hey, let's you, me, everybody, and Galactus roll up to the battle. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, this is absurd <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I liked it though. I mean, you know, I'm a mark for crazy cosmic stuff, as we oh. as we found out in my New Gods episode that I really <laughs> took took the reins and ran with. So that's, I'm a mark for that. You know what? Uh, in the editing of that episode, uh, there were certain things. Things that like uh i think there were a couple interjections that ron or i had in that episode that i just edited out because they were useless you you were on a roll like some butter baby because <laughs> you know your stuff about the cosmic powers and this makes me think of from the blue marvel story makes me think of uh in um uh dakota dakota city the fucking uh milestone comics uh they had icon and Icon is on this list as well. Mm. And Icon is another black Superman analog. But in his particular case, he was an alien. And much like the Superman mythos, when he saw whoever the dominant life form was, he would assemble, he would assimilate his features to that. There are certain aspects of the of the Superman myth where it's like Kryptonians look like whatever the fuck they look like. But when they saw Ma and Pa Kent, they kind of he kind of made himself look like them or whatever. Mm. So it's like in in Icon, he does that. He makes himself look like the first person who finds him, who is an enslaved woman, because his Superman ship from a super advanced planet lands in the South in the in the eighteen hundreds. So basically, he is a slave, and he, he's he's like her secret baby. He's like an extra slave on the place or whatever. And as he grows up and recognizes his powers, he like escapes and shit. And then you flash forward to him being like a businessman lawyer type today. And he's a Republican because he pulled himself up by his bootstraps by flying, I guess. You know what I mean? So yeah. like he he's living in a bougie office and he's doing what he can, but in subtle ways to not draw any attention to himself as an alien being or a super long lived being or anything like that. And this girl shakes him out of that by like uh, she unwittingly uh, accompanies her boyfriend or some motherfuckers on a robbery and they happen to be robbing this dude's house. And 
uh, he uses his powers to thwart them. And then she's like, motherfucker, you got powers? Okay, yeah, we were stealing from you. That's fine. Okay. You got powers. This shit is this bad in the streets. What the fuck are you doing? It kind of goads him into being the most powerful superhero in the in the milestone universe. So I, I thought that was a really interesting twist on like Superman where he's where he lands is a big thing amongst all these characters, right? Superman landing in different places make him different sorts of people. Absolutely. Yeah. That's been examined um, in the course of Elseworld stories from DC as well, which we're not going to really get into in this episode. But obviously, things like Speeding Bullets, where he was adopted by the Waynes, mm-hmm. um, Red Sun, where he landed in Soviet Russia, that sort of stuff. The Nail, which is uh, kind of a classic Justice League story, where you know he landed somewhere in Kansas, but the Kents got a flat tire on their way to go pick him up, and so he ends up. Uh, being ra- being ab- 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 abducted by the government essentially, and so we ne- we never have Superman, um, which I think was also a, a story point in Flashpoint, if I'm remembering correctly, in the yep. alternate universe there. Yeah. So that's always interesting. Um, but yeah, like I said, a lot of that is done in the context of DC kind of fucking with their own myth. Um, whereas you know some of these other ones get a little further afield. Should we just read the list just so people kind of know what we're talking about here? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So this is in no particular order. Uh, Supreme from Rob Liefeld, published Image, Awesome, uh, Extreme Studios, probably a couple other book publishers, but he's existed for a while. Captain Marvel, the Shazam version, Captain Marvel from Marvel, Icon from Milestone, like Ed talked about. Blue Marvel from Marvel, The Century from Marvel, Samaritan from Astro City by Kurt Busiek, uh, Kurt, Kurt Busiek, Alex Ross, and Brent Anderson, um, The Plutonian from Mark Wade's Irredeemable series, The Utopian from Mark Miller's Jupiter's Legacy series, Mr. Majestic from the Wildstorm universe, Solar, Man of the Atom, who's been published by a bunch of publishers, but has been around since I believe the 60s. Here's one of my favorites, Radioactive Man, Bart Simpson's favorite comic book hero. Uh, Both Omni-Man and Invincible from the Invincible comic book series and now um, television show. Apollo from The Authority. Prime from the Ultraverse, uh, Malibu Comics Ultraverse from the early 90s. One Punch Man, definitely uh, one that Ron was advocating for. Gladiator that we talked about from the Shi'ar with Marvel, and one might even argue Neo from the Matrix. All well, yeah. variations on and, Super. And Adwin, one more uh, Hyperion. Uh, Hyperion from the Squadron Supreme um, from Marvel, which essentially was an alternate universe evil Justice League um, that was a, an antagonist for the Avengers, but then eventually turned kind of into their own thing. Yeah. And Hyperion, um, um, notably in the old olden days, was one of the first um, heroes, even of an alternate universe, to die. He mm. sacrificed himself and got blew the fuck up. And I knew that because I read an Avengers, uh, like a Avengers or West Coast Avengers even annual where he shows up as like they kind of did a Secret Wars thing with like the West Coast Avengers team with like Tigra and fucking Wonder Man and Moon Knight and all those guys on on a floating rock. And then on the other floating rock was all these dead people like Hyperion and fucking uh, loser characters that they let die. The Executioner, the mm-hmm. guy that uh, that um, Carl, Urban Carl Urban played 
and and Thor. That guy was there. And just all these people were there. And uh, yeah, Hyperion, I think, is an interesting one. That's what I was thinking about when I was saying him landing different places. Him being in the new continuity, uh, almost military project. Mm-hmm. That was interesting to me. Them trying to like, it's different than Homelander, who we'll definitely get to. This, these people trying to like discipline you and control you and understand you when you don't understand yourself and you don't understand where you come from. You don't understand where your urges are coming from and, and how to use your powers. And they can't instruct you as to how to do that. So then you get this weird half life and this weird, you know, I don't know. There was something cool about the fact that he was so powerful, but he couldn't have a life. He definitely mm. didn't have the cool life that Homelander has. I mean, Homelander's life sucks and he's awful, but he is having more fun than goddamn Hyperion ever had in those J. J. Michael Straczynski comics. Yeah. There was always this huge cross to bear. I think maybe that's what uh, 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 Snyder was looking at when he was trying to do Superman or something. You know what I mean? Like this cross to bear of being Superman. Yeah, I, that, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me, first of all. But second of all, I, that's something that they get at a little bit with Dr. Manhattan, too, in Watchmen, which who I didn't put on this list because I just feel like the whole story, the power set, kind of everything about it, other than the fact that he's the most powerful hero in that universe, is pretty far afield. But definitely writers love to play with that idea of like, you know, America is the world's superpower and that comes with a certain amount of guilt and responsibility and what happens when you personify that in a person. And I think even, you know, more to the point with Hyperion, what happens when you personify that in a person with a certain amount of naivete about the world and where Mm -hmm. you're just kind of inculcated or indoctrinated into this certain way of thinking and the, you know, the righteousness of the American struggle um, and sort of how moral is that and how does that affect your life and your view of the world? That's it's an interesting story. And it's something that I think is, you know, a pretty obvious um, metaphor. Because one of the things that I like, I think is interesting about Superman is the, the, the being the last of a group, which one, Mm. uh, which ones on this list match that thing? Is there anyone specifically? I mean, Icon. I think um, I don't. I don't know enough about his his alien yeah, backstory. They, they, he really didn't kick it with too many more people like him. I think there was a guy named DMZ on the Blood Syndicate gang that was technically part of Icon species. They found out because he had similar power set and stuff. But uh, I think uh, they kind of like you know, two Klingons ain't necessarily going to be friends. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) uh, Omni-Man from Invincible kind of had a really smart twist. Um, Spoilers if you have not read the Invincible comics for what might be coming up in the show. But like, you know, it was originally presented that he was the last or he was not the last survivor of this race, but he was just an emissary of this very peaceful race. Turned out that, you know, no, they're warmongering conquerors. It's an empire. He's trying to prepare Earth for the for conquest by the empire. But further down the storyline, again, spoilers, it's revealed that a disease has essentially wiped out 99% of all of the, what was the name of their planet? I'm forgetting off the top of my head. A disease has wiped out 99% of his people. And so there were only like 50 of these guys left in the universe. And they were on this desperate mission to sort of find a species with whom they could repopulate their entire population. And that was 
part of what Omni-Man's mission on Earth was, was to find out if they were genetically compatible. And so that was something that they held off a long time in the comics. And I'm assuming, you know, you might go another season two, even three in the show before they get into all that. But I thought yeah. that was always a smart inversion of sort of like the last of a doomed race. Yeah. Viltramites. Yeah, yeah. The Viltramites, that's it. Yeah. And they kind of yeah. did it like that, uh, like uh, a little bit how Burn conceives of Krypton. Right. Because like Krypton didn't blow up in Burns thing, I don't think. Or if it did blow up, it blew up basically because of this fucked up disease that was fucking up the Kryptonians. It was like some weird super mold or something. And then it yeah. blew the planet up. <laughs> yeah, there was a whole I mean, it was a whole thing. It was like and then there, it, it started with a genetic civil war. And then like everybody. Had, yeah, the whole thing was crazy. But yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so uh, but but again, because the, the last of a kind, a lot of times they avoid that. And I want to circle back to Gladiator real quick. I always had you you took the words right out of my mouth uh, about about Gladiator in that I like the fact that he was Superman in our world, but they made it very clear that he reached that through all kind of like psychokinetic powers that were probably boosted by an external source. That was one of the dopest Marvel Universe entries of all fucking time, where they revealed that basically Gladiator can do – Gladiator might not be able to do all the boastful things he said, like moving planets and pushing suns and stuff, but he can do basically anything he thinks he can do. And when his confidence is shaken, he can experience extreme losses in his power, which means it might not be exactly inside his body. It might come from psychokinetic uh, or, or some kind of energy manipulation to make it seem like he's super strong, to make it seem like he's invulnerable in reality. He might be making various force fields or something or doing other sort of uh, almost telekinetic, psychokinetic stuff to do all these super feats. That may be how he's doing it. They even left it kind of empty. Like, I don't know. That may be what his deal is, that his power could fluctuate if his confidence goes down. And I was like, that shit is awesome. That's, yeah, that's fucking dope. awesome. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That and it does feel like the, they were raised in the religion I grew up in, but you know, still <laughs> the secret. <laughs> he manifests his powers. Ah, the gladiator <laughs> secret. Oh god, that's uh, funny, no. But dude. I, I, I have not read a ton of comics featuring Gladiator. You know, he was he was in the Secret Wars series um, in, from you know circa 2013, 14, 15. And then obviously he's in all those old X-Men comics that uh, of which I have not read a ton, but encountering him on the X-Men TV series, the, the cartoon in the nineties, I was always struck by his design. Like that is mm -hmm. a bonkers design, but it's dope as hell. And like, that was one of my most beloved action figures when I was collecting all those Marvel action figures as a kid, mm. like gladiator was sick because he was, <laughs> He was noticeably like wider and bulkier, like more ripped than any of the other action figures. And just that like the super bright red with the dark blue and then the mohawk, like it is just sort of a gonzo version of the Superman suit. And it works, man. Like it's really good. Yeah, he's fucking badass. Oh, and, then, and just real quick, when he beat the fuck out of the Fantastic Four, they have this issue where he's like holding Ben Grimm with like one hand in the classic John Byrne pose he like to do with different people. Fucking Ben Grimm's bent over his hand. He's got like somebody in a headlock. He's smacking everybody up. He's, he's everybody, everybody's getting beat by him in one image. 
And it was just like an ill-ass issue of the comic to like see them laid low. But like Superman coming into the Marvel Universe would wreck fucking shop, dude. He'd have to run into Blue Marvel and Galactus and Jesus and stuff for for for, for it to not be a murder zone if he chose to do that. Right. Now, the question is, is Thor's powers magical? Yeah, I was hesitant to put Thor. Oh, are you're saying to fight Superman? Yeah, yeah. No, he doesn't count as as a Superman analog, I don't think. He's, yeah, I don't think so either. He's an Asgardian. He's, you know, he's super strong, but he doesn't well, even fly You fly. know what, though? I you mean, know what, though? I, I got to file an objection. I think Kirby knew exactly what he was doing, and Stan Lee knew exactly what they got. A, they got a primary colors, blue and, and red, guy mm-hmm. that flies, is, is, I think that they decided that if DC goes humble, we'll go boastful. If DC goes sci-fi, we go religious. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it was mm-hmm. like almost like he's a counter-programming to the Superman ideal. So it's like you can't have him be like Thor is just boastful enough not to ever get cats out of trees or no pussy shit like that. You know what I mean? He's not mm-hmm. a good guy. He's not a boy scout. He is a warrior trapped in our weird backwards to his mind time having to spend half his time as Donald Blake, the cert, you know what I'm saying? Serving out this weird sentence of learning how to be worthy and all the kind of shit. There's, there's, it's like, he's the anti Superman, but he has, he covers all of those areas. Cause when it really comes down to it, they do call Thor, man, <laughs> they, when, you know, in the Marvel universe, no, it really sure. gets down to it. Yeah, but yeah, he's, he's not, he's not he's, iconic like Superman, even though, I mean, people could argue it right now, but over the course of time, I just think, He's a different thing than Superman. Superman is the goat. He's the guy who started it. Yeah, I mean, I think, and even within like the fictional reality of the world, you know, Superman is sort of seen as this iconic leader. You know, mm-hmm. he's the one that you're happy to see arrive. Like he's the mm-hmm. one that will try to calm things down. I don't know. Thor, I think just as a character, he, both his origin, his power source, and the way he acts is just so far afield. I'm I'm just not sure if it counts. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. I'm just saying that I've been saying he is the anti-Superman. Yeah. I did want to make special mention, you know, Ron, you asked if any of these guys sort of had the last of his race thing going on. So the Samaritan, um, who's, you know, essentially the main character, although it's hard to say there's a main character, but main character of Kurt Busiek's Astro City. Um you know, I'm sure you've seen this character if you're at all familiar with those comics. He's got the red bodysuit with kind of the the eagle crest on his chest and the blue cape that like wraps halfway around his body. So he's not an alien, but he was sent back in time from a dying Earth in the far future. And then he was the first man to travel in time. It was like the moonshot of this post-apocalyptic Earth was to create a time machine and sent, you know, a specially trained individual back to stop the events that would lead to the apocalypse. And in traveling through the time stream, he was empowered by, they call it the Empyrean fire in the Astro city universe. And it gave him essentially Superman powers and he arrives and um, stops actually the space shuttle challenger disaster. And that was sort of the historical fiction branching point of the Astro city universe. Um, But he, you know, I think is maybe the closest fit in that he's like, the last survivor of a doomed future as opposed to a doomed other planet. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting character too. Um, like he's, he's got a, he's got the same type of attitude as Superman that, that never give up attitude, which is the, the most, one of the bigger parts of it. Uh, I get, I'm trying to remember, but there was this one part where 
Like he got cast out of existence and then just was like, no, and fought his way back into existence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the type of thing that Superman would do too, where it's like, well, we put you into this different, like whole different dimension and Superman's like, mm, no, I'm not staying in this dimension. I got to go back and save Earth. You know, so yeah, the the character is actually really cool because a lot of the stories, um, due to the nature of his powers, deal with the idea of kind of making invisible changes to the timeline. Because um, obviously, if you're just an average Joe living in the world, you don't realize when somebody's altered history. But because he kind of exists in the time stream outside of those changes, he's like the only one that realizes when it happens. And he ends up getting antagonists who can do the same thing. So they have these battles through the time stream. And like, a, yeah, at a certain point, he was he was erased from existence through the machinations of this time travel plot and had to like find his way back into existence from outside the time stream. Um, so is that kind of what Morrison jacked for when Batman fought his way back into time through all that shit to, uh, do the, you know, I, not I see a white, but yeah, there's a, there's a glimmer of the same idea. I there. mean, yeah. there's just like a glimmer of like the, I mean, uh, and I think, uh, Mark was saying that his ending for, um, for irredeemable is quite similar to the ending of, you know, uh, uh all-star Superman also mm -hmm. Superman, I think beat them to publication, but he was like, that's awful similar. And as I was writing the end of mine, I was like, that's already kind of happened. Are people going to receive my ending the same way? You know what I mean? And we're going to talk about Irredeemable in a minute. But that's also a really interesting Superman analog. Well, I think in general, Busiek wasn't one of these guys, but he certainly fits the mold. It's well known that around the year 2000, Mark Wade, Grant Morrison, Mark Miller, who's also on this list um, yeah. with his own version of Superman, and then another writer named Tom Pyre, the four of them got together and put together this amazing pitch for DC to essentially relaunch Superman. Like, how do we take Superman back to basics, start it over, update it for the modern era, um, at a time when the character had really been floundering since the death and return storyline in the early 90s? These guys kind of got together of their own volition to put together this pitch that was infamously um, turned down by DC Comics. All those guys would go on to write multiple versions of Superman, both officially in canon for DC and in their own creations. Um, Busiek might as well be the fifth Beatle on that one because he's a guy who I think has a love for an understanding of the character that really shines through. And he ends up taking that love and putting it into Astro City and the Samaritan. And no doubt, a lot of the ideas that went into the Samaritan stories are just ideas that he came up with for Superman, you know, over the years and refined for his own version of the character. Yeah. So Busick, Wade, fucking... Uh, I think it's interesting to look at the different people who have put their hands on Superman and then comparing kind of their styles to um to the superman analogs like you talk about like mark miller is kind of a he's not a bargain basement grant morrison did i say that um yeah, you just said, said it out loud so so like when you look at what he did with utopian i think it's very interesting how um he decided to make uh utopian a tiny bit more complicated person before giving him powers like he decided to make him like a grown-up person who goes and finds a weird island that gives him powers gives him and his party a bunch of powers so it's like the mysticism of like 
the mysticism slash alien technology slash unknowable Arthur C. Clarke magic technology aspect of how he got his powers and him coming back to a depressed America, like an America in the middle of a depression and him and his clan come back with superpowers and how that affects the ability of the world. I think that's interesting because honestly, Superman comes out in real 1939 and starts throwing cars and being super. I think by the 60s, we are. I think that's why editors note you can check out our our uh, superman greatest challenge episode we posited that any superman world worth its salt has to be a super sci-fi world you know we're going to different dimensions we're dilating time we're doing time travel we're doing all kind of crazy shit in this world that superman uh occupies because on a on a level him being there would have evolved us just mm-hmm. him him observing us and us observing him would have evolved our technology and the people who you know like batman like all these people like lex luthor that class of human that looks at him suspiciously at times and wants to stop him would develop such and such technologies and the sloth off of them and the armor wars, you know, Tony Stark S armor wars therein, the inner gang of it all. All this technology would spring up from this challenge of this super being. Yeah, and I I mean I have a huge soft spot for Jupiter's legacy as a comic. Uh can't necessarily recommend the TV show, but as a comic, you need to check it out. Miller embraces everything that you're talking about, Ed. And I think what makes that character even more interesting, because he's shown first as being like this man of purpose, you know, he goes and actively seeks out the power that essentially turns him into a Superman analog in order to help in order like he knows he's going to save the world if he could just get this power. It sort of turns him into an entitled asshole when he gets it like and that's one of the central conflicts of that first volume of Jupiter's legacy is that, you know, it's a very father knows best paternalistic mentality that this guy brings to his supermaning. Like he's very quick to, uh, to reprimand anybody. And like, he just has a certain sense of like, we do it this way because it's, that's the way to do it. And in a lot of ways, like, He's almost a more ubermensch type figure, you know, in the classic Nietzschean definition of the world because word because he's self-made, because he's this guy that went out searching for the power, like made it his life's mission to get it. And then once he gets it there, he, he becomes a little bit entitled. He becomes a little bit of like, well, this was my mission and I achieved it and I saved the world. And so I just fucking know better. And mm. like that rubs people really wrong, which is an interesting mm. I hadn't, I hadn't seen that before. What's that? <laughs> including his son. Well, definitely including his son. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I think I think the reason I, I bring that up and, and respond to it is like, you know, the idea of the Superman archetype is sort of infinitely explorable if you just find those little nuances. You know, we talked a little bit about, well, what if he's raised by the military industrial complex uh, in the case of like Hyperion? And that turns out very different. Or, yeah, what if he starts as a man in search of power? And how does that go a little bit different? And I yeah. think that's what's what's interesting about all this is because Superman as like the archetypal superhero, it's always assumed that kind of everything goes the way it should. You know, he has that humble bucolic upbringing. He's not overtly ostracized by the world. He has this innate sense of responsibility to go with the power. Like, all that stuff works out. But anytime you start adding wrinkles in there, it becomes a different type of story. Makes hmm. sense. 
so is that why um so is that why we gra- are we start to almost immediately gravitate to these weird uh darker archetypes of them or these more I don't want to say more complicated because some of them are just oh I'm nihilistic I like to I like to skull fuck the the ancient uh, the 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 ancient sphinx I got to skull fuck the sphinx before morning and then I'll go carve my name into the moon with my dick and all this kind of it's like there are people who think that that's what a super person would do and I'm kind of discounting that type of bullshit I, but when we get to the, the homelanders to a certain extent the uh, Hyperians to a certain extent uh uh the uh fucker Omni- the plutonian the, the, the plutonian oh, yeah or the plutonian from the plutonian but honestly bro i want to talk about the plutonian because honestly this concept that like you could be with us and like us for your whole life and then sort of snap is the interesting part of that so-called bad Superman deal with that. You know what I mean? Like this sort of person who's on the edge, not really understanding how to be with us really, but we've struck this tenuous accord of you save me and you help me and I'll give you love. But like, if that covenant is violated on any level, this person doesn't understand reality anymore and has the power to affect everybody after they snap. That's the interesting thing about irredeemable to me that, that, that was what sets it apart to me than, you know, from a, a lot of other stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, that's also sort of the, the thrust behind injustice, which was the DC video game series that completely blew up and has since been a best-selling comic and an animated movie and like has just sort of infected a lot of their publishing. That was also the, the essential conceit is like, what if there was a character like Superman in that, in this case, actually Superman, who served that role, you know, faithfully and admirably for a really long time, but then just hit a breaking point where, you know, everything went wrong. Um, I think that there is, there's a certain draw to that because I think it's relatable in a lot of ways, you know, sadly relatable. It's sadly relatable, but also, you know, I think you discount when you start thinking about Superman how much pressure would actually come with being that? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, we live in a world where a lot of people are feeling overwhelmed living their non-superpowered lives, you know, yeah. with just the responsibility in their office or their workplace or for their own family. And so just that feeling of overwhelm being dialed up to like a planetary scale level I don't know that it always makes a great story, but it certainly, I think, is relatable to a lot of people. Well, and also there's just <laughs> look and there is just a group of people who literally, if they got Superman's powers, would just rule the world if they could. That's that's well, why that's a, they love. That is a little bit of a different, different class of people, though. But go on, yeah, Go ahead. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I think some people wa- watch those things and think. Oh yeah. I mean, I get that. Like it's why they liked that the Snyderverse so much is they liked the idea that Superman they think it's more realistic, but that's because it's more realistic for them. It's the people who think that you're lying when you say you support women in whatever way you support women cuz obviously you're just trying to get laid. You don't really feel like that. You know what I mean? Like it's those same type of people are the same type of people who like well if you had superpowers you'd just be a god that's just what you would do like why why can't we be a person who would make 
do their best to make good decisions. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm that person. <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying that there there's plenty of people who could be that person. Well, there, um, there's, a, I, there's a negativity to, to discounting yes. that. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the problem I always have with that that outlook um and and stuff like that i don't know it's it's just one of those things but at the same time i do think about like if i got powers at this point and i looked at the world and was like man this is a nightmare people are racist and they're shitty like how can i fix this and i don't know here's the thing i don't know if i had superman's powers if i could fix that and okay that's- oh, wait. No, hold on, hold on. Lightning round. Lightning round question. Everybody has to answer it. What's the most insignificant thing you would do if you had Superman's powers? The most insignificant. It's not it's not saving anything. It's like the 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 dumbest, weirdest like like honestly, I just have one on top of my head. I would just fly over to Russia and free Brittany Griner so she could go play in the WNBA. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just do it real quick. without us having to give out you know because we're gonna trade her this is gonna be so dated we're gonna trade her for an arms dealer so it's like come on i wouldn't want us to give up an arms dealer i just go get her so i would say that's probably one of the more insignificant things i would do if i had her powers for like five but that's like helpful i (laughs) would go get really good food in a different country (laughs) and if there and and if there's multi-planets like if i know there's now life I'd probably go to a different planet and find food that I could eat at a different planet. <laughs> and meet aliens some of those native shit. life forms. There's some <laughs> selfish shit I would do. Yeah, who can I mate with? You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I, some, I was going to say to to that point, uh, flying sex. That that's my answer. Oh, I mean, hundred percent. Yeah, you got a hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. I would yeah. 100% do that. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, but that's why, that's my whole point about that stuff is like, that's why I have a problem with the dark Superman stuff a lot of times. Uh, but I also like kind of get it. Like, if you looked at the stuff that's going on in the world and didn't pay attention to the good stuff and the good people, you could get to a point where you're like, uh, fuck these people. I'm just going to rule them. Like, there's, I get, I get, I get that point, but I don't like those stories the most. So I guess that's a problem I have with a, a lot of. But you know, uh, you know what's okay. But but this is where we get into the Homelander of it all because honestly, yeah. I think the only bad Superman besides Omni Man, perhaps, that has ever gotten it in any sort of like realistic psychology that makes any sense, and that is, it doesn't matter if you can rip everybody's goddamn head off that you see. In the end, there's a fucking social contract. We're still social animals. I don't give a fuck yeah. if you got shit pouring out of your eyes. You care what people think. And that's why I think it's I think the going back to not the Plutonian, yeah, the not the utopian, the Plutonian. Mm-hmm. People will always have something to say about how you save them. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? And like you, I and I just I am a sports guy at times and LeBron. LeBron has done nothing but be the most excellent motherfucker. A couple times he left teams and what did this. He he exhorted his right as a human being to leave a team, not before his contract was up. After his contract was up, he decided to leave. People hate him. Anyway, all he's done is be super great. The amount of hate he gets every single day, the industries that are built on hating him. You think there wouldn't be a a hate Superman industry? 
a oh, whole yeah. industry of papers and be. news sites and 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 falsified or not falsified footage of him dropping motherfuckers on their head trying to save too many motherfuckers from a house fire or something the amount of people that would be filming him doing anything and hoping that he fucks up fabricating that he fucks up telling people that he fucked up just to do it is insane you know what i mean so like homelander trying to keep that number down and, and he and he's always being as a story point always being informed as to what his numbers are and th- 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 there's almost a tactile power to how much power people in the social contract had over him until recent events and that's why this the show is so interesting that you could fly all over the place there's still a social contract yeah i think uh it's interesting also the difference between the show and the comics and that's not yeah. something that i've heard talked about a lot but like in the comic books, I mean, Homelander was just Homelander was essentially this nihilistic hedonist that just indulged every whim because he knew that everybody was afraid of him and nobody could stop him from doing what he wanted to do. I think the interesting twist that the show puts on it is that because he was essentially raised without love, right? Mm. Like in his entire life, he's never known love. His one weakness is approval seeking. And as a character in the show, yeah. all he really wants, and and I think they do it cleverly, is like all he really wants is love, but not in a way that's overtly pathetic, in a way that's horrifying. Because to him, love essentially means like subservience and perfect deference. Like if mm. you let me do whatever I want, you praise me for doing whatever I want, that is love. And it's a really smart take because I think it's psychologically consistent. Like if you're somebody who's raised with ultimate advantages, but are withheld any vestige of actual human affection, Mm -hmm. that essentially becomes your weak. That's the thing that you need most of all and don't know what to do with once you get it. And that makes for a very unhinged person. But I think that the way that they turn that into him being obsessed with his poll numbers, him being obsessed with the son that he has, even though he doesn't seem to care about that kid as like a human being, Mm -hmm. him being obsessed with, you know, the woman that he had the affair with to have the son, even though, again, he doesn't seem to really relate to her as a human being, even his relationship with uh, the not with Stormfront, Mm -hmm. where, you know, as you see in season three, it's like, he really is just concerned with how, she thinks of him and doesn't even really need to think about any attitude he has toward her. It's, it's scary as shit, but also in its own way, like pretty funny, just the way that they, the extremes that they take with somebody who is just so pathologically in need of affection at all times. Mm -hmm. It's like they turned a comedian into a superhero. Okay. I'm sorry. That's, (laughs) terrible thing to say about my people but <laughs> that is so real though <laughs> god damn i mean yeah you said it i didn't that's yeah. that that need for approval but see but, that, but that's why i am not funny sometimes because I'm, I'm fighting the power you see uh-huh, yeah yeah same here same here that's why some of my jokes don't work just to you yeah know. I can't fight the man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. Uh (laughs) But I mean, but so that is an interesting discussion point, though, because I think one of the most underappreciated aspects of actual Superman 
is that the character, and we talked about this in our episode about Superman, but the character is coming from a very humble place. Like mm-hmm. he is actually selfless. Like he actually will do good things just because he feels like he has the responsibility to do those good things. It doesn't come from a place of approval seeking or trying to stroke his own ego. Like he's essentially presented as a man who has his ego completely in check. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what people find unrealistic about that character is perfect control over your own ego, which is why I think with a lot of these analogs, you start to see different aspects of that interrogated. Like, all right, well, what what if not? You know, yeah. everything from gladiators, you know, when his faith in himself goes down, his power goes down all the way up to Homelander being, you know, the sociopath who with a bottomless pit of need for affection and worship. It's an interesting thing to to explore that relationship between power and approval. Yeah. You know what Mm. I mean? Because I I think even in our world, you see that so often is like people who are elevated in any way, the ones who go off the rails are invariably the ones who need the approval of everybody telling them that what they're doing is right and great and awesome and what they should be doing. The people who seem to hold it together a little bit better are the ones who are self-assured enough to not have to need that all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So also, um, I was going to ask, where do you think Apollo lies in that uh, from the authority? You know, I've I've never loved Apollo um, because it really, it was a very of-its-time thing where, you know, Midnighter, I think, became a little bit more of an interesting character, but it really was just a writer having a laugh by going, hey, what if Superman and Batman were gay together? And then you just create two characters who are like extreme versions of Superman and Batman who are gay together. And so, you know, Apollo is Superman, but he has a more kind of overt solar power where he can shoot energy blasts and create force fields. Midnighter is Batman, but he's such a... Uh, an unreal martial artist that he just kills everybody with his bare hands and they are passionate lovers. And like, I don't know that there was ever much more to the character, certainly of Apollo than just being that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say from uh, all of the readings, so they've, they've definitely, the one thing that has withstood this, the test of time is, you know, uh, them being like, together and like roaming the streets and shit and being like sort of outcast from the program that made them and shit like that. There was something to their relationship and you got to see a little bit of it before Stormwatch and stuff. It wasn't just like all of a sudden, you know, uh two characters are together cuz it's it's goofy. It's like they kind of they kind of came up together and there was a little there there as far as Warren Ellis writing Stormfront leading it into the authority, but mm-hmm. after the there of their love and their their sort of uh their voices they had different voices when they talked to each other but mm-hmm. i i think other than those two things and last things last the overt solar power that you mentioned was pretty interesting because sometimes he would run out of power 
and they would have to like push him out in upper atmosphere near the sun and let him fall until terminal velocity. And the whole time he's gathering more and more solar energy. And he so when he gets it all the way metabolized, he like wakes up and shoom, flies off and attacks a whole fleet that's attacking the world or something, you know. Real fresh shit like that about him being a real solar battery. I thought that was a, a real good Honestly, if I was the guys at DC, I would have bought Wildstorm so I could fucking throw Apollo into the sun, as it were, and make that a Superman thing that actually gets used a lot. A Superman weakness of him just like, sometimes my solar gets fucked up, man. Sometimes we're on the dark side of the moon too long or we're in deep space too long and I can't really do it like that. I I really wish they would do that, man, and make make for some great adventures, in my personal opinion. I'm with that I was going to ask you about... Uh, there's a few of these people on here that I have not read at all. So I was going to ask you guys about this if you've read, checked them out. You mentioned Wildstorm and Mr. Majestic. What's what's his character like? How's how's that guy work? You know, that was sort of a thing in early image was to essentially create a Superman analog that was just a murderous asshole. And so <laughs> Mr. Majestic okay. is a is an alien named Majestros and he comes to Earth and, you know, dons a red bodysuit with a white cape and becomes Mr. Majestic. And he's essentially like a Superman who will kill you. Um, OK, you know, for a while, uh, I, I want to say maybe the most significant thing about Mr. Majestic was that Ed McGuinness sort of broke into the industry drawing yep. Mr. Majestic. Mm-hmm. Um which, you know, you got to love because Ed McGinnis is an all-time great. Cool. Um, and then we also had um, uh, Solar Man. Solar Man of the Atom. I mean, Solar. Solar Man of the Atom. <laughs> solar Man? Solar. Ah, solar Man, man of, the of the Atom? Of the Atom. No. That's a character the I don't know literally at all. No. Oh. Um, no, never he's read of any the, uh... of Solar Man of the Atom. He's of the uh, uh, the Staten Island Solarmans. <laughs> <laughs> Well-established family. No, so, um, you know, most of our listeners might know him from the Valiant reboot in the 90s when Jim Shooter took over Valiant and sort of launched a bunch of new books. There was Ninjak and Turok and Exo Man of War, and one of the books in there was Solar Man of the Atom. Wow. But it's a character that's been kicking around since the 60s, originally as Dr. Solar, Man of the Atom. Um, Aesthetically, super cool. A lot of these characters are actually aesthetically really cool. Apollo is another one that I always Mm -hmm. thought, you know, his costume design and the way they visualized his powers was always super dope. So Solar has this red bodysuit with, like, the, uh, the warning radiation symbol, like the black symbol in the yellow circle on his chest, and then essentially a Cyclops visor. Nice. Um, his origin is essentially Dr. Manhattan's origin and his, his power set is a little bit more Dr. Manhattan than Superman, but the way he operates is more Superman ish. You know, he's a scientist who's caught in an experiment, um, with some sort of nuclear, you know, next level nuclear physics thing. And it sort of rips him apart and puts him back together as, you know, this being of pure energy, um, and so he becomes Dr. Solar, Man of the Atom, and he has, you know, various quantum powers. But he then becomes sort of your classic, super powerful, I'm going to do good for good's sake and protect the world from sci-fi threats sort of a hero. Uh, he was originally a gold key superhero, if you're familiar with that publisher. A lot, of, um, a lot of superheroes from the 60s came out of gold key if they weren't coming out of Marvel or DC. 
Yeah, okay, cool. a, 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 a gold key alumnus along with uh, Turok, the dinosaur hunter, and people like that. Yeah, Absolutely. I remember Turok. I don't remember uh, uh, Solar Man of the Atom, and now I feel like I missed out because that sounds really interesting. Well, you probably uh, remember Exo Man of War and Turok yeah. because those got the biggest push, I think, and, and Valiant's uh, payday. I think those two got the biggest push because Joe jo Casada started drawing fucking Exo Man of War, and then they had Bart Sears on it. Oh boy, my <laughs> young mind. I was like, look at all the bubble shapes. This guy's got <laughs> muscles on muscles on muscles. Absolutely. Yeah. I think around um, that same time, they actually had Dan Jurgens drawing uh, Solar Man of the Atom, which was, you know, hot yes, for me. Yes, they did. That Because he was, he, it's so funny, those creators where it's like, you understand this Superman aesthetic, this Superman power set, and the situations you must put a Superman in. And all this kind of jazz. I wanted to mention um, before we get too far afield. Um, I want to throw out One Punch Man because Ron Ron definitely wants to talk about it. But also yeah. in the same uh, category, once you go past One Punch Man's like almost like want nothingness or want one thing and get itness, there is something that leads us into Omni Man and the Invincible People. I think for mm-hmm. a longer conversation. So what what's up with One Punch Man, Ronnie? Well, you know what, you know, it's this, you know, there are all those concepts of Superman where it's like, what if he was born somewhere else? What if he was raised by someone else? What if he was an angry guy? What if he decided to take over? Well, this is basically what if he was just bored? What if he got so powerful (laughs) in a world where there's monsters and always some kind of thing that would be challenging to most heroes, but to him? There's never a challenge. He punches them. They die. That's just how it works. He's that strong. He doesn't have to try. They hit him. Nothing happens. He doesn't feel it. It's not a challenge. He's just bored out of his mind. He wants to get food and he wants to hang out, uh, uh, maybe play a video game here and there. Doesn't At least in the video game, he loses sometimes and feels a little bit of pain. You know what I mean? Like it's that type of thing. Um, he uh, They basically started telling – a, a Superman story where there's a main bad guy who's uh, who's uh, arrived and he's beat up all the superheroes. And it's mostly because when he was a kid, he thought it was really sad that people were mean to these cool monsters and always made the bad guys lose. The only thing he's killed the entire time eventually is a monster, mostly because he just wants to be the best monster. So he can't have these other monsters hanging around when he's got to be the best monster, right? So, um, but he goes to fight um, uh, Saitama and he can't beat him. And Saitama's like, "Mm, I don't think you're a bad guy. I think you're a hero. And the guy's hitting him and punching him. He can't do any damage. Saitama's not even dodging. He's like, I think you just need, I think we should just go over there and have a conversation. And it's really interesting because it's the first time he's not been bored. And eventually the guy gets some more power and the whole thing changes. And I wish they would have gone farther with with this line of thinking, because as soon as I started reading that, I'm like, I wish they turned this into a longer arc because they didn't. But I just was like, you could have turned this into the coolest Superman story. Well, so. just as a as a real quick interjection, I that's why I like Grant Morrison's just two gins in in the morning 
bullshit authority series that he's doing right now. You know what I'm saying? He's just dashing these stories off. I'm convinced of it. But you know what? They're still great because yep. it's Superman who's losing his powers, having to help young heroes be better. And he's just like kind of the guy in the chair almost on the team. And he drives around a super manful vehicle because he can't run fast anymore and shit. And it's just, but he's still super and he's still inspirational and he's still the best to do it. And he has this little burst of his, a little bit of his old self and shit. But even when he can't get that, he's still useful because he's been super in so long. There's something so fucking awesome about that. And that you made me think of that with, with Saitama being able to like, nurture somebody into being dope and like that being more interesting than infinitely more interesting than fighting that's the type of shit you get in manga honestly these kind of uber concepts that are kind of like that in american bash ups we just can't stand that type of shit i found my body like rejecting it on some level but then i was like intellectually i was like no this is better that's an interesting concept you know what i mean so thanks for blessing us with that. But as we, so basically fucking that is one way. And the other way, all the way is mm. Omni-Man, a person who, who comes from a culture where it's like, okay, if you're weaker than me, I got to get, I got to subjugate you. I got to sometimes breed some of you. I got to do different stuff. He's got, he's got wives all over the world, kids all over the place. <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck about anything, any kind of morality. He's like, it's like if Andrew Tate could fly. <laughs> I mean, I would I would argue that actually the, the Viltrumites have a very strict sense of morality. It's just fucked. It's just <laughs> it's just might makes right. Yeah. And like, yeah, you know, the strongest should rule. And I think that they really hammer that home in such a deliciously heartbreaking way in that epic fight at the end of season one of the cartoon mm-hmm. where with that very memeable moment where it's like, open your eyes, Mark. Like, <laughs> look at why would you want to be a part of this world that's like full of all these horrible, weak things that's just how that's how he thinks of humanity as just Mm -hmm. weak squishy unremarkable things and like that even i think is is very different than homelander who like has this need to see himself as above us but i don't think his morality quite catches up to that need i think with omni man there's just such a a certainty just such a you know clarity to the way that he sees himself as being above people. And so it is his right to rule and to take whatever he wants. That's how it works. And it's like, you see him being almost confused by Mark having a different moral sensibility than that, both in the comics and in the cartoon, which is just kind of a delicious thing. (laughs) Well, and it's also terrifying. Like if you think about someone that powerful, truly not even thinking of you as like as cool as a pet yeah. as literally nothing like they would if they decided to eat humans they just eat you and wouldn't think about it like we eat chickens like it, or a piece of celery even probably like yeah it's, more like a piece of celery or, or a carrot or bananas that's <laughs> bananas and that's yeah. actually like kind of scary when you if you really think about something like that it's kind of scary well, because Home- Homelander knows his species is American man, <laughs> and there are other American men, and they are never going to be what he is, but his species is American man, right? Motherfucking Viltrumites don't give a fuck about us, dude. We're, they're, they're, we're totally different species, and I think that's where the the not to break Batman and everything, but like the people like Batman, the people in all these universes that sort of plot on the super uber powerful character from your Rorschachs and your Night 
uh, night owls to all these other people. The reason why you have those is that fear. And it's like, to me, very natural. It's like, it's like when, you know, you're walking behind a lady at 3am, it's like, she ain't got time to be like, Oh, that's uber small time comedian Ed Greer. He would never do anything to me. Oh, that's that's Ron Swallow. That's that's some guy. They don't have they don't read your CV at 3 a.m. And when people see a super guy flying and doing all this hot shit, your first somebody intelligence first thought is, I hope he don't do that weird shit to me. And what am I going <laughs> to yep. do? If, if he, he does try to. to do that, Brightburn, I think we're missing one in Brightburn oh. because people, you know, didn't respond well to that movie. But I thought that that movie was pretty clear in its, um, if you were from a society that kind of thought like the Viltrumites thought, there's only so much apple pie that's going to deprogram that. You know what I mean? That was like the dark side of something maybe that would happen in Invincible, like his mom's apple pie and his girlfriend and his stupid friends and stuff. That was enough to get him indoctrinated, radicalized, as it were, against his dad's religion and morality. Yeah. But like if you were trying to kind of fight that your life, but kind of knew it was wrong and kind of knew might makes right. And then your powers kick in and then you're being summoned from his his. um you know, uh, Kryptonian machine, his Kryptonian rocket ship that he lands in and Brightburn calls to him and gives him alien programming to like start a colony here and take over the world or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's like, I kind of liked it. I, I kind of liked it. It was interesting. I have to, uh, I have to make mention as I often do when talking about Superman of Elliot S. Magan, one of the greatest Superman writers of all time. He wrote a novel in the 70s uh, called Miracle Monday. And in it, there's a, a whole section where Superman is a kid. And it's told from the point of view of Jonathan Kent, where he finds Superman using his X-ray and heat vision to dissect um, a grasshopper. And mm. there's this moment of panic where it's like, what if he thought of us like the grasshopper, like just this lesser mm. life form that is there to be studied and, you know, dissected and it then goes on to be revealed that he actually found the thing it was already dead and he was actually trying to find out if there was a way that he could bring it back to life because he was Aww. so upset by the fact that he found this beautiful dead thing and so mm -hmm. superman's morality remains intact but i think it's interesting even just to you're bringing that same fear that we're talking about here into the guy raising superman like mm -hmm. And there are, you know, people who think about actual alien contact scenarios, there is a strong line of argument that it might not be in our best interest to make first contact because it's a much greater chance that an alien civilization that we might be able to contact is so far advanced from where we are, even just intellectually, that they wouldn't see us as being anything special, right? Like in Possibly. the same way... In the same way that we, you know, we were talking about in our Patreon episode about animals, you know, octopuses, octopi are some of the most intelligent animals in the animal kingdom. And yet we still eat them. I'll raise my hand. I eat octopus. <laughs> and octopi, you know, are from the same evolutionary ladder that we ourselves live on. And now we're talking about meeting a totally different species from a totally different planet that might have been developing their civilization for a few million years if not tens or hundreds of million years from where we are right now, we might not even be able to functionally communicate with them. They're going to be on such a different level in terms of how they operate. 
to say nothing of the fact that they come from a totally different evolutionary tree. Yeah. You know, so yeah, just that whole idea of your morality, the way you relate to the people or life forms around you being scarily different is, you know, that's a very interesting idea. I I think, and the pretty facile metaphor therein are the people on earth that think that about people. Yeah. Like the people who are just like, okay, if you aren't on my socioeconomic level, my, my ethnocentric level, my whatever level, then you're literally nothing. And I have the right to kill you, hunt you, hurt you, drive you away from me and my family, uh, uh, subjugate you, mate you, breed you. I could do whatever I want to because you're not quite me. The real people who think that to this day and who have throughout history are really monstrous because they're like a combination of goddamn uh, the, the uh, xenomorphs and aliens and Superman, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they can yeah. fucking swoop down with all this super technology and then fucking fill you up with their with their fucking colonization eggs or whatever. You know, it's it's pretty brutal. So it's like it's 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 so scary on a real level, and we've transmuted it to superheroes. Thank God. We've kind of got that thought out of our head as though it can't happen to us with a swift revolution or whatever. You know what I mean? It's it's interesting that we've placed it into this super world where it's like, oh yeah, a guy with lasers. No, a guy with an AK might come in your house. How about that? An AK motherfucker might as well be floating if he got an AK. Yeah, and you or, don't. Just, or just all the money <laughs> yeah. and power in the world. Like there's exactly. a dude, the the Canadian uh, Jeffrey Epstein guy. He was impregnating ladies and then making them get abortions so that he could get stem cells and do stem cell research <laughs> so that he that could make himself live wild longer. Shit, Jesus. and, and that yeah. yeah. That's like you don't care about that person as a person. That's not a person to you. That's a thing that you're using to try to make yourself live longer. And that's insane. So, well, that's that's psychopathy, too. I mean, yeah. that that's really what you're talking about there. Yeah. But doesn't. Yeah. Doesn't Omni-Man seem like he's on the psychopathy scale or is that just or is that just because he's an alien and it's a different culture? I mean, I you know what I mean? So, like, I don't. Yeah, so so if this is going to be heavy spoilers uh, if you haven't read the Invincible comics. So if you're just going by the uh, the cartoon, again, tune out now. But the comics did an interesting thing where originally it is presented as like, oh, this guy's just a psychopath. But they really lean into the cultural differences because ultimately Omni-Man very much comes to realize the error of his ways and, you know, goes full native with Earth. And starts to learn things like empathy and egalitarianism and stuff like that. And, and you know, I think it's presented in a very hopeful light because it is sort of this idea that you can break from the, the toxic cultural programming with which you were raised, you know, given the right combination of, of patience and influences. Um so, yeah, I mean, he's initially presented as being like a psychopath, but you you come to learn that it really was just a consequence of his culture. That's interesting. Um, there's a, a there's a really good story. You can look this up if you feel like on the Internet. It's pretty entertaining. I can't remember the dude's name, but he got super into QAnon mm-hmm. and then got out of QAnon and had a uh, an interview with. Um, who's the CNN um big big journalist and, guy Anderson Cooper Anderson Cooper and he would literally in the interview he was like yeah Anderson I thought you ate babies to stay young and 
And I believed that. I believed it. Even as crazy as that sounds. And he's like literally knows that he believed a crazy thing at the moment. But I, I think like, we're I think we're getting at what the whole point of this shit is, though. The cultural, yeah. the culture part of Superman yeah. is the superhuman feat. You know, we've yep. kind of we kind of talked around it the whole episode. The culture of Superman is the superhuman feat. His his lack of ego, as Bill talked about, you know, his his empathy, as you talked about, Ron, his his give a fuck about people who aren't in his immediate vicinity. That's a lot. Like, but dude, if I was Superman, every motherfucker on this block would be safe as fuck. But them motherfuckers <laughs> over there, <laughs> I don't know You're about. Not wrong. You're not <laughs> you know wrong. You know what I mean? There's yeah. an extent. There's an extent to my goodness. You dig? You know? So no, and I and I mean I think that is at the heart of most of these analogs from a story perspective is just the examination of Superman as an archetype in either wildly different or even just slightly different contexts, and I think that it is intrinsically interesting to ask the question of how consolidated power interacts with the world in which it lives, right? That's ultimately what all these stories are doing. When you have an outsized amount of power, how do you live in the world? And, you know, Superman is the most hopeful version of that. And something like Homelander is maybe the most cynical version of that. But there's a lot of steps in between, which is a lot of fertile ground to explore with stories. So, okay. So as we round out here, what is, in your opinion, and we've looked at this list, we've discussed and debated, who are who are the standouts? Besides, we'll put we'll put Omni Man on the shelf because I think that's eloquently stated by you, Bill. Um, a reason why he deserves to be in this in this pantheon. There is something missing from all of them. Like I mean, I'm, we didn't discuss very much of Supreme by Rob Liefeld. Yeah. I think even with Alan Moore putting words in his mouth and, and thoughts in his heart, I still don't know what the fuck Supreme was really about or what he wanted. Do you remember Bill at all? So yeah, I'm I'm a huge Supreme fan. My answer to this question, Ed, was gonna be Supreme, and I think it was because in a weird way it felt the most Superman. Um, which I think is a weird answer to this question, but like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it ended up being a little bit the snake that eats its own tail. Cause it was kind of about itself. Right. So Alan Moore, I'll just be the first to admit, I have not read any Supreme outside of the Alan Moore stories by all accounts. It's a totally different character, but the Alan Moore Supreme stories were essentially stories about Superman stories. You know what I mean? It it was it was this weird meta narrative where like the character was aware that he had been sort of reinvented and remolded a bunch of times and then he gets into he has to discover his own new origin story as reality is rewriting itself around him and you essentially just get all these really gonzo whacked out versions of classic Superman archetypes from, you know, his love interests to his villains to his sidekicks. Um all done with love and panache and style. You know, there was weird time travel adventures. There was really poignant moments. But yeah, it, it it didn't really have a reason to exist other than the fact that Rob Liefeld asked Alan Moore to write Supreme and Alan Moore found a way to tell all the Superman stories he wished he could have told before writing Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. It was a very navel-gazing exercise, but it was beautifully done in that way. So Supreme, you know, holds a soft spot in my heart. Yeah, beyond that, I would agree with you, Ed, that like all of these characters often feel like they're missing something. 
you know, it's like they're either serving a very obvious purpose or they're very obvious pastiches, which is yeah. an interesting thing. Um, I'm and, you know, with that, I think I'm going to go with Samaritan. You, the more mm. we talked about Samaritan, the more I'm like, that's just an interesting I just liked it. And I, it made me want to go and uh, uh, pick up Astro City because when I read it before, it was uh, uh, spotty with with Lance's comics. So, like, now I feel like I want to go pick that up and really read the whole thing and, like, get it. That that sounds really interesting. So I think that's what I'm going to go with. I, You know what? I think if the Plutonian didn't have the exact same ending as goddamn All-Star <laughs> Superman, I would honestly think that that was the dopest because he got, after he went crazy and fucked up shit on Earth, he went way the fuck out in the galaxy was fucking shit up. He ran into whole different other cultures to fuck their whole shit up. So it was like this graduation of the concept. We always get stuck on Earth like, oh, this guy's an asshole. He needs to beat up people on Earth. It's like besides maybe Omni-Man and some of the some of the uh, Invincible Adventures, perhaps in those five billion fucking comics Kirkman and Homeboys made. Mm -hmm. uh, besides maybe some shit like that. That's the first time I've ever seen this kind of jingoistic superman guy out in the outer universe having adventures sometimes running into people that could kind of fuck with him you know what i mean that was kind of interesting to have somebody go so crazy and fuck up the earth so bad that he just leaves and goes out to have other adventures other types of adventures in outer space being psycho so there's something interesting about that i just wish maybe i think if they revive it at some point or maybe give it to give it to me and the the rebooted crew for a reboot or something later there down the go. line. I would want to do something with his space adventures or do do something about a Superman who got kicked off Earth and is like, you're no longer welcome here, you fucking fuck face. Like they they put a kryptonite shield around the world and they're just like, get out of here, you bitch. You get a, you get away. And he's like, but my daughter's down there. And his daughter's like, fuck you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he just flies with his like hobo bindle over his shoulder. <laughs> you know, highly reflective hobo bindle over his shoulder flying with his tattered cape for months and months <laughs> trying to find another place to live like what's that adventure i would love to see something like that so that's what i would do if i had control of the plutonian or superman or something i create i mean late stage invincible um late stage invincible like once i got past issue 100 uh really adopted that and it wasn't so much him like being a hobo and riding the rails but like <laughs> him and his whole family moved off earth and were off earth for a good long while nice. and what they really got into were like the rogue uh villain viltrumites like they took what an evil superman could be they crank that shit up to 11 to quote spinal tap. Like mm -hmm. that was some wild shit in invincible. So, you know, both in the ways of seeing Superman fuck up alien cultures and seeing a Superman analog be out, just chilling uh, amongst aliens. Invincible has some of that for your appetite. Before we get out of here, you know, the bottom of the list, uh, there's this character that I've not read about before. It's called <laughs> Lumen. From Bill Costanzo's Multiplanetary. I would love to hear about that, Bill. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I am I'm working on this graphic novel right now. You know, originally this was uh you may remember if you're a longtime listener, this was gonna be part of the Kickstarter that Ed and I uh were looking to launch with the old company before you know we made a change. Um I've just been I've just been doing it as a graphic novel. I don't know what the timetable is gonna be like, but you know, this character Lumen 
was originally a character I created as a kid named the Illuminator. Um, you know, every character I created as a kid was just kind of a riff on Superman, classic hero in a cape. But as I got older, I came up with, you know, a good handful of interesting stories. Like if I were to ever write a Superman movie or if I were to ever write Superman comics and it was some of my favorite concepts I ever came up with, you know, just doing the thing that writers always do, just coming up with stories and scenarios and just keeping them in the notebook. And at a certain point I was like, why do I need to wait to be hired to write Superman? Like, why don't I just fucking write these cool ass stories? And so I went back and I essentially am importing, you know, the entirety of ultra comics, which was the comic line that I created, you know, between the ages of like nine and 13 with revisions but what i'm essentially doing is like a reboot cool of the comics that i made when i was a kid so i'm taking all those characters aging them up it's anchored by lumen who is a superman analog and the story of multiplanetary is essentially the superheroes have won earth is in a place of unprecedented peace you know all the villains have either been uh, uh, jailed or reformed. You know, the wild technology of alien invasions and mad scientists and extra dimensions and whatever else has been put to use by a strengthened UN to bring this incredible era of peace and prosperity to the world. And just as Lumen is sort of feeling like, okay, we're entering a new era, the UN decides well, now we're going to go out and join the galactic community. And that is something that, you know, a handful of superheroes have experience with, including Lumen, but no humans ever do. And the humans are essentially like, look, we now have the technology. We now have the the will as a people and the, and the peace on earth to justify it. We're going to go do it. And for a variety of reasons that become apparent in the story, Lumen is uncomfortable with that. But again, speaking to the idea of, power's place in society as the world's most powerful and preeminent hero he's essentially politically manipulated into joining this mission whether he approves of it or not and mm -hmm. so he finds himself out amongst the stars having to protect a group of astronauts astronaut diplomats with their own agenda and maybe some grudges against him and trying to find a way for humanity to become a multiplanetary species without it spelling our certain doom uh, for reasons, again, that we'll have to read the story to become apparent. Awesome. But yeah, that's the pitch, and that's what I'm currently working on. And I have no idea when it'll be available for you, but yeah, uh, this topic of Superman analogs is obviously near and dear to my heart. <laughs> so, well, I mean, because you, you've been breaking down, you've been breaking down exactly what what is missing from some Superman analogs, I think. And this is your contribution to that to like, so like I can do this without there being, you know, anything missing or, 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 or I'm going to add something to the actual, you know, Superman analog community. You know what I mean? I hope I hope it's additive. I feel like it is. You know, it's also um I love one of the reasons why I love Superman and all these characters is, you know, I love the idea of taking the world as we know it and adding this one sort of giant monkey wrench in the form mm -hmm. of this person. And what that, you know, as we started this conversation, talk about like what that creates 
in the environment, in the world itself, how does that throw things off the rails? And then how does that one person deal with their outsized power and influence? Both of those things are so interesting to me on a story level that it's a sandbox I've, you know, always wanted to play in. And now I'm doing it. Yeah. And now, you know, there's going to be some extras and stuff uh, as as we get closer and closer to completing the uh, Kickstarter. There'll be some stuff popping up on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod that you can kind of chart the progress as we get closer and closer to debuting that. But that's something to look forward to, Um, Ron. I'm glad that we got down to like what makes Superman so good, because I know you're a big proponent of good guys doing good stuff for good reasons. And I think sometimes you, you hate when people sneer at that sort of thing. And sometimes I definitely do, but I do even I cynical Ed recognize that doing good for good sake, it's the backbone of comic books full stop. Now, sometimes it could be conservativized and shittyized and, and changed from that ideal into different garbage from different gates and different stuff. But in the end, doing good for good sake is what the superheroic genre is about. And it's it's emblematic in Superman. So even when you have these characters that are flawed and have holes in them and are trying to do the antithesis of that, it still like expresses that idea, even in its absence, even when you try to get all the way away mm-hmm. from it. You reaffirm that idea. And that's why uh, Superman is awesome. And that's why it was fun to talk about Superman analogs. And it's why there's so many Superman analogs. So uh, rate and review. Leave a five star. Say something nice. Maybe even leave a comment about how much you love Superman. And uh, as always, thanks for listening to another episode of The Greatest Fun.